Election College, Episode 37, The Election of 1888. A relatively unknown Republican defeats a popular Democratic incumbent. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. So, Ben, it's 1888, and I'm ready to throw a party. How about you? Party. Yay! So I mean, Grover Cleveland, he's yeah, he, he's a pretty popular guy. Yeah, Grover is like a party name too. I think we talked about that in the last episode. How cool his name was, or maybe we said how strange it was. Whatever our opinion was then, it's the same now. But either way, he is partying it up. Hey, you know what's pretty crazy? Um, what? Grover Cleveland's mustache kind of looks like Grandpa Smith's when he grew it out. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I wonder if we're related to him. We probably are. Probably just because of the mustache we're related to him. I think so. It's interesting. A snazzy upper lip. Did they live at the same time? No, they probably didn't. Probably not. No. Hey, speaking of beards, did you know that Harrison was like the last president? I'm pretty sure this. He was the last president to have a full beard. Jason, I don't even know who Harrison is. What are you talking about? We haven't got that far yet. Oh, okay. Well, maybe we should talk about him a little bit. But anyway, if he had a beard, he was cool. So yeah, good. yeah, yeah. So Benjamin Harrison, he was actually born not too far from where I live in the Cincinnati area, and he was the grandson of William Henry Harrison. Remember him? That sounds yeah. That sounds like a, a president we've discussed in the past. He was the guy who had who gave really long speeches. Is that right? He gave really long speech. Yeah. Yes, speech singular. (laughs) He was a prominent attorney. Uh, He became a leader in his church. He was a politician later on. Um, He served in the war, and we'll go into a little more depth than that. But he was just kind of a man of uh, multicolored, I guess you could say, jobs. (laughs) He just kind of did a little bit of everything, kind of like a lot of the presidents in that era did. I was wondering where you're going with the multicolored. I was thinking yeah. like a technicolor dream coat or something. He dyed his hair in the in the color of uh, rainbow just for fun one day. Oh, yeah, that's a cool story. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> the Republicans at this point are really reeling from a defeat because chances are, if you were a president in the Late 1860s, you were going to be a Republican, right? Yeah, they had like five or six in a row that won. Yeah. And I mean, that's the party of Lincoln. So my goodness, of course they're going to win. Well, and plus, you know, the other, you know, the Democrats, the whole Civil War thing was their fault. Everybody knows that. So right, what are you going to do? Yeah, but the problem you had if you were a Republican is that you were a member of one of at least a couple of different factions. And we talked about that a little bit about the, the stalwarts and uh, who are those other guys called the uh, I don't remember. half breeds, the half breeds, the half breeds. Thank you. The term of endearment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The whole 
half breeds and uh, debate that we had going on about whether that was the term of endearment or not. But yeah, basically, we won't go too far into it. But if you're a Republican in this era, you're not united with everybody else who calls themselves a Republican. And we've got this name for them called the Mugwumps. Pretty much the Mugwumps or anybody who leaves a party to and, and kind of shakes things up. And so there's just like, there's still a ton of mugwumps out there. Yeah. And they're out there hanging out and you've got the, the party faithful who pretty much are being led. I, I guess this would be accurate to say they were being led by James Blaine uh, from Maine. Hey, oh, that right. Blaine from Maine. Yeah. yeah. So, you. so James Blaine, he was like, Listen, guys, I have tried to run for president, and <laughs> it's just not working out too well with me. So yeah. how, how about somebody else have a crack at this? Right, yeah. And one of the big issues in this election uh, is tariffs, tariff policies. And, and tariffs, as we know, are just a fancy name for taxes, pretty much. Uh, but... Tariffs kind of take the the center stage uh, for the election. Uh, Harrison, who, of course, we know was um, coming up here in the ranks, pretty much took the side of anybody who was uh, a factory worker or an industrialist or someone who was kind of the, the everyman. And they wanted to keep all the tariffs high. And then President Cleveland, at the same time, said that high tariffs were unfair to consumers. So you can see either one of their points, I'm sure. But that kind of becomes the central fighting platform, I suppose you could say. Yeah, you have to keep in mind that at this point in our history, there was no federal income tax. So this was the big way that the federal government had the opportunity to make some big bucks from the citizens. So uh, the, the tariff issue was huge for everyone. And you know, we kind of take it for granted, I guess. Most of us who um, are employed, we don't see the full amount of our paychecks. We're just paying the government. <laughs> and we think about it every, when April rolls around and, and we're paying our taxes. But um, yeah, this was a huge, huge issue in the daily life of, of the American citizen at this point. And it certainly was uh, an issue that everyone, you could say, would have had a, an opinion on. Uh, not just not just a lot of the issues now that people are iffy on. And, oh, okay, I don't really have an opinion on that. You pretty much had an opinion on tariffs. Um, the Democrats were uh, pretty united whenever they came together at the convention, the Democratic National Convention, just to kind of get things going. They pretty much said, okay, well, we're just going to go ahead and say... President Cleveland, he's he's going to be renominated for running for president. No formal ballot needed. We know it's going to go. And uh, really, at this point, that makes it the first time that um, a Democrat had been renominated since ni- 1840. Yeah. Which is a long time. Yeah, it was old Marty. Moity. Yeah, Moity. I mean, that, that's a whole different era of American history when you think about it. It really is, yeah. And, you know, we're, we're just talking about how it, it seems like 
we're starting to relate to these guys a little bit better because the history is a little more recent. Even the clothing that they wore in 1888 seemed to be a, a just a smidge bit more like what we would recognize today. And um, yeah, the the Stephen Grover Cleveland was he was doing a pretty fantastic job and. I liked his bow tie yeah. and his mustache. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, you remember uh, old Tommy Hendricks, right? If Cleveland's going to stay, uh, re- get renominated, why not just go ahead and renominate Hendricks, Jason? Uh, well, of course. Uh, why not? Because he's dead. <sighs> Sorry to break it to you like that. <laughs> ah, man, what's up with the vice presidents? I think I think anybody who runs for vice president at this era pretty much has a death wish. They're just trying to die. Yeah. Or I, become wildly unpopular. Yeah, Ben, we actually got an email uh early in the week. I, I guess Ben, you already knew this. Hey, um, for our audience. Uh we got an email earlier this week about how they love the podcast and everything, but what are we gonna do after uh-huh. we follow the election of I guess 2016 would be our last in, in this phase of election college. And it might be interesting to do a bio, like biographies of the vice presidents. I don't know, but I would love to hear some feedback uh, from everyone. Would you, like to, would you like to know more about the vice presidents? Would you like to know more about the, the first ladies? Should we go more in depth about the presidents themselves? But it just seems like if you're a vice president, oh, yeah, yeah, we've definitely had a, a couple people voice that. Um, what are you guys going to do after this? Is it done? And no, we're not planning on making it done. So we have some ideas and we have ways we can go, but let us know what you want to hear too. So the Republicans, uh huh. Blaine is like, I'm, I'm going to chill out. Harrison is in. Who? Who are some of the other parties involved in this crazy election of 1888? Well, before we talk about that, Jason, why don't we go take just a little break? So, Ben, as many audience members know, I'm involved in social media. You're involved in podcasting. I'm involved in podcasting. You're involved in social media. We do this type of thing for a living. That's right. And we have a lot of people. Uh, I've been helping a few people in my personal life, but also as part of some different interactions um, professionally to work out ways that you can be better at social media and podcasting and even use them in conjunction with each other. So we just want to let everybody know that Jason and I do private consulting. We do some podcast consulting. We do some social media consulting. And if you want to be like us, which is to say super cool, send us an email. Yeah. Just email info at electioncollege.com. We will be in touch. We do everything from branding to consulting to making you look like a rock star in the digital space. So, Jason, we've got the Prohibition Party, and, well, they're around. They're, they're gaining some traction. Um, they pretty much 
still have the same, the whole same deal they had before. Let's prohibit alcohol. Yeah. And that's kind of their whole deal. Like, that's it. Yeah. They had their national convention up in Indianapolis, which actually is where Benjamin Harrison is from. And I'm sure it was a very sober event. So they're there. I I get it. Sober. (laughs) So funny. Uh, we've also got the Union Labor Party, and um, don't don't confuse that with the United Labor Party. No, no. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to do that. They're they're obviously terribly, incredibly distinct from one another. So the Union Labor Party pretty much got together to improve working conditions of the everyman, the people in the labor unions, but the union. I'm sorry, United Labor Party uh, got together to help the single tax movement. And so both parties really have the best interest at heart of the unions. And they actually try to get a joint ticket and try to get behind one ticket, but it doesn't happen. Yeah, I mean... About the only thing they had going for them was that they both had their conventions in Cincinnati, and that was about it. Right, yeah. So, hey, uh, you remember the Greenback Party? I do, I do. I think it was in the last episode I said, who who are the Greenbacks anyway? <laughs> and Another we, back to tell you. Yeah, they just kind of ceased to exist after 1888. That's pretty much all you need to know about the Greenback Party. If anybody out there is a big fan of the Greenback Party, go ahead, let us have it. Let us know more about why you have a passion for the Greenback Party. But um, people in 1888 did not have a passion for the Greenback Party, (laughs) and they went the way of, I was going to say the dinosaur, but they went the way of something else. So Yeah, there are still dinosaurs like Jurassic Park. Haven't you seen it? right. So there was the American party and they ceased to exist after 1888 too. Um, They were basically the anti-Masonics of the past. And um, you had the equal rights party, which I, you got to hand it to the equal rights party. I mean, they were very progressive. They were nominating uh, women for office and in this period of time, women just that that was not seen as proper. And it took decades after this for women to uh, even have the ability to go to the ballot box. Um, so good on you, Equal Rights yeah. Party. Belva A. Game. Lockwood um, was the nominee. Well, and I thought we might have been done, but no, one more, uh, one more at least that's well known, kind of. We had the Industrial Reform Party, and this is going to be a shocker, but it was pretty much exactly what it sounds like: reforming the industrial working conditions and the um, the taxes and things that went with them. So that rounds out the top twenty five most popular um, <laughs> political parties of the era. Uh, and we'll be sure to have many more as we go. I'm, I'm yeah. positive of it. Yeah, and we mentioned this a number of times as we were going through the Civil War. We, this is an election podcast, so we do want to acknowledge the fact that there was a lot of shifting going on, um, going from more of an agrarian society to a more industrial society. You had 
the Gilded Age. Well, this was the Gilded Age. This was the era where people were getting very wealthy. And there was a whole industrial class that was basically working poor. And so you had a lot of um, situations where um, you needed these labor unions to improve working conditions for, for the common person. Um, you had uh, the meatpacking industry, which was a, a kind of a disaster. <laughs> um, just all kinds of different things going on in America but we can't get into all of that. We're just talking presidential elections. So we want, we want to pause and acknowledge that though. Absolutely. Uh, I mentioned earlier that one of the big issues was the tariff uh, reform idea. And just to go into that a little bit more, the, the whole thing kind of sparked off for the campaign uh, during Cleveland's annual message to Congress in December of 87, which, you know, the year before the actual election ran. Uh, and so he pretty much was on the side that the tariff's too high. Um, it's unnecessary taxation, and it's really not even justified in any way. And of course, the Republicans responded that the high tariff would help protect the industrial workers and the foreign, uh, comp- or, sorry, would help protect the industrial workers from foreign competition that would keep America continuing to be a industry nation uh, help you know with wages and everything like that but the thing is I mean it became this huge issue but it really wasn't a new issue it, it really been stretching back for almost almost a decade at this point yeah well actually even further back than that because sure. you had um, the tariff of I think it was like 1860 something like that um, so all the way back to whose administration would that have been? 1816. So um, you had the protectionists and the free traders, and there was just this whole big issue: how do we, how do we relate to foreign nations? How much are we going to tax? And um, are we going to tax our exports? And how much revenue are we going to make off of that? So um, nothing new here. No, no, but it certainly uh, encapsulated the election as a whole, so it became a big issue. We've also got this kind of a scandal, I guess you could almost say, uh, of the the blocks of five. And William Wade Dudley was a lawyer, and he was a campaigner as well. Uh, he was big into uh, campaigning against and prosecuting election frauds. And at one point, Benjamin Harrison... Our buddy Benny yeah. made Dudley the treasurer of the Republican National Committee. Yeah, and so um, this would have all really been a secret had it not been for uh, a letter that was found. Uh, I think it was found written to a railroading uh organization or yeah. something of that sort. Yeah. And um, they found out that they were selling votes. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if there's any, any other Whoops. way to say that. Yeah. Uh, you have to keep in mind that now most of us are voting via secret ballot, but it wasn't always that way. As a matter of fact, a secret ballot would have been a novel thing 
at this time for a state. I believe Kentucky, I think Louisville, Kentucky had the first secret ballots either in this election or the next election. Uh, And then Massachusetts was the first state to have the secret ballot. So you didn't have that back back in 1888. And they actually called the secret ballot, Ben, I don't know if you knew this, they, they called it the Australian ballot. I did not know that. Is that because Australians had secret ballots? I, I would suppose so. But to just prove that we're Americans and we like to add our own terminology and get credit for it, it was also called the Massachusetts ballot. Right, because why not? It's so similar after all. <laughs> so stick that info in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> when you go to the polls and you vote and it's a secret, it's a Massachusetts ballot. Thanks, Massachusetts. Yeah, hats off. So there, there's also this, um, I guess, kind of a scandal uh, where the Murchison letter is what, what we call it. There was um, a dude named George Osgoodby who was a California Republican, he wrote a letter to a British ambassador to the United States, and he wrote it under the uh, not not his own name. He wrote it under the name of Charles Murchison, hmm. and he said he was an Englishman who now lived in California and wanted to know how he thought he should vote in the upcoming election. And um, the, the British ambassador suggested that Grover Cleveland was probably the best man from the British point of view. And so then the Republicans, of course, took this and ran with it and published the letter just a couple weeks before the election. And, of course, Irish-American voters um, really took hold of that. And um, uh, Cleveland ended up losing New York and Indiana, which we'll go on to say was a bigger deal than that as well. Um, But (laughs) more interestingly to me is that... uh, the British ambassador actually lost his job. So, whoops, I guess you shouldn't have responded to that letter. But it's just interesting to me that a letter published from one outside representative or opinion could have had that big of an impact on, on an election. Yeah, isn't it crazy how for the first 50 years of our country, it was really... Uh, the mindset was either you kind of align yourself with the British way of thinking or the French way of thinking. And now after the civil war, after things are a little more industrialized and we have this huge immigrant population coming in from Ireland, that it's really a, are you thinking more like a British Protestant or are you thinking more like an Irish Catholic? And it really becomes evident because Time after time after time now, New York is a key state in the way the elections happen. And it's interesting because you had the organization in New York City, Tammany Hall, which actually had been around since, uh, I think, the turn of the century or even before that, the 1700s into the 1800s. and this group really helped immigrants. And at this particular point in the election, Tammany Hall was really advocating for these Irish immigrants. And that, well, let's talk about it. Let's talk about those election results. <laughs> well, the uh, the election was kind of 
in hand in most parts of the country. But as we kind of mentioned, New York is a big one, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Indiana. Those are all kind of the swing states at this point in time. And Harrison pretty much splits uh, most of the states mm-hmm. with Cleveland at this time. And um, it seems like there was probably some fraudulent voting, fraudulent balloting in a couple of the states, but Harrison wins most of those ones that were fraudulent or, or were thought to be fraudulent, which is really interesting to me. Yeah. And this really goes to show how important every single vote counts. Because when it comes to the popular vote, Harrison only wins the popular vote by 90,000 votes. Which at the beginning of the country would have been a bajillion in comparison. But at this point is less than a percent. Yeah. And I misspoke. Cleveland won by 90,000. So Cleveland wins the popular vote. But Harrison wins those key elector votes, which is what you want. So even though 90,000 votes, which is like 0.8%, he wins the electoral college 233 to 168. Right. And there's all sorts of scenarios that are set up here where, you know, one of them is if Cleveland had won Indiana, which is where he was from, he would have had the electoral vote by 204 to 197. And you only needed 201 at that point. Um, But he doesn't. (laughs) And then there's a couple (laughs) other there's a couple other slight counties, I think it was that even Mm -hmm. if he'd won a couple counties and a couple different states went a different way, he would have also had the the popular vote under wraps or the electoral vote under wraps. But he didn't again. So Cleveland actually gets the most votes. He gets the most popular vote. Mm-hmm. And he loses the election, and, and he's only the third one in history that this has happened to. We've talked about them before: Andrew Jackson in 1824, Samuel Tilden in 1876, and then Grover Cleveland in 1888. And believe it or not, since 1888, we've only had one more, and we'll talk about that in whatever, however many episodes that ends up being from now. Right? Uh, it's kind of funny because. You know, whenever you have a president who loses an election, it's kind of like, well, okay, um, I'm just going to go back to the ranch and farm or uh, go on a speaking tour or whatever. But the first lady, Frances Cleveland, um, I think she would have been one of the first ladies that I would really like to meet. I mean, she seems like she's really spunky (laughs) because (laughs) she's young. She's extremely popular and um, she's leaving the white house and I can just hear her say this. She's like, Hey guys talking to the white house staffer. She's like, take care of this place because we're coming back. Yeah. (laughs) How how would you like that? Um, They're like, okay, well it was really nice getting to know you (laughs) have a great life. And she's like, Oh no, no, no. We're just leaving for four years. We're coming right back. We'll be back. Yeah. So uh, it's an interesting uh, four years ahead because we've got Harrison in the White House doing his thing, doing his Republican thing. And we've got Cleveland 
doing his thing, which we'll talk about in the next episode. And of course, we just still have tariffs. Like nothing ever gets resolved. So, yeah. Did that ever get resolved? Did it ever get resolved? You said, yeah. Of course, but not not during this election. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man! Uh, Hey Ben, I uh love getting reviews. Don't you? I do. It it makes me feel really warm inside. Yeah. And Mr. J. Patch, he left a review this past week. He said, as a high school history teacher, I enjoy the Cousins' colorful timeline of our nation's presidents. It provides great nuggets of knowledge and fun additions to my lessons. So, wow, that's awesome. Thank you. We're being used to influence students, apparently. And that's at once humbling and terrifying. So, hey. If you're a teacher and you want to play our episodes for your students or you want to use it to supplement some info or whatever, go for it. We'd love to hear about it, too. So let us know. Yeah. And really, from the beginning, this podcast originated out of the whole thinking of who in the world ran against the presidents? Like, we never hear about the losers. And so, right. so it's, it's fascinating as we're learning so much that, um, people who have majored in history, we have had political scientists, we've had historians, uh, learn a few things because we're learning a few things. So we really appreciate the community aspect that election college has become. Hey, if you're listening to this when it comes out on release, or maybe even just a little bit later, you're getting close on that Christmas creep, right? It's getting, it's, we're getting close. People are going to start talking about Christmas presents here soon and, and whatnot. And if you're like me, I mean, I'm not a big, oh, let's go out to the stores on Black Friday and get trampled and, and buy a bunch of stuff we don't need. But I am, I am more susceptible to internet shopping. And so we wanted to remind you all that if you're doing your internet shopping, on Amazon.com this year that you should use our link. Yeah. You just go to electioncollege.com slash Amazon. You will be taken directly to the Amazon store. You go shopping, you make people happy, and you make us happy because that helps support the podcast. That's right. We make money and you don't spend any extra You might even spend less. Come on, if you go to Amazon. So support your local stores. But if you're going to do your internet shopping, support us. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, Ben, this has been fun. And do you have anything else to add about the election of 1888? Nope. But if you guys have anything else to add, make sure you tell us about it on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Election College on all of those. Shoot us an email at info at election college or contact at election college and uh hopefully we'll see you in four years yeah or next time right whatever <laughs> take care everyone say goodbye 
buy to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.